This is Golf with Jay Delsing. A two-time college All-American at UCLA. A participant in nearly 700 PGA Tour events. Seven professional wins to his credit. Over 30 years of professional golf experience. A member of the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. And I've got my author, business person. Yeah, anyway, so Pearl, thanks for joining me. Guys, um, welcome to the show. We formatted the show like a round of golf. And the first segment is called the On the Range segment. It's brought to you by my friends at TaylorMade Golf. Thank you guys at TaylorMade. You guys have to check out the Stealth line of products. They have gone from no longer making metal woods to only making these carbon compounded uh, products. They're fantastic. Reach out to me, Jay, at jdelsingolf.com. We are giving away a dozen TP5 golf balls each and every week to some lucky listeners. Uh, so you need to write to me, Jay, at jdelsingolf.com. Put balls somewhere along the line, and we are giving away a dozen balls. Anyway, we want to thank Bob and Kathy Donahue, 314-805-2132 from Donahue Painting and Refinishing. These are great human beings, first and foremost. Second of all, they can beautify your house on the inside, on the outside, whatever it is you need. I got Kathy. Kathy's getting trained in some color, new color qualifications, and I am going to have the Donahue sit at my house, and man, I need some help. 314-805-2132. I've got Alan Shipnick on. He wrote the book on the Phil Mickelson book, and it's just, I, I, I was fortunate enough for Alan to send me a copy of it, and the title is called Phil, the Rip-Roaring and Unauthorized Biography of Golf's Most Colorful Superstar. We're going to talk about some of the things from the book. We're going to talk about how cool Alan is. I don't know. Let's just jump right in. I mean, one of the things, John, that I had my radar my really sensitive about was to see in what style this book was written. Was Alan Shipnook trying to take a shot at Phil? Did he have an axe to grind? Was there something in their relationship over the years that made him want to kind of be vindictive about this book? And the answer, in my opinion, is... No. Alan did a phenomenal job. It's laying some of the facts out there for us to devour. And, and then we can figure out our own opinion. The thing that just gets me, John, that's so weird. This was happening while, hell, you were out there too, while I was playing. Some of the craziness and some of this that Phil has gone through and, and kind of brought upon himself, just crazy. Well, kind of brought about himself. It's all brought on himself, wouldn't you say, for the most part? I mean, the good and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And obviously, on your show, we don't want to get into too much of the crazy speculation. And just like the book, we're not after to, to bash Phil. But man, there's some colorful information and colorful stories. And like you said, it's in many ways, it's real time or certainly re, uh, re relevant recent times. And, uh, you know, when, when he's so, such a part of golf news right now and future Ryder Cups and future President's Cups with being captain potentially and different things like that. There's there's a, a lot to unpack here. And you you just love the book. I did. I love the book. I couldn't read it fast enough. I, um, You know, John, it's interesting. And now that the news has come out, obviously everyone knows already Phil Mickelson has withdrawn. He is the defending champion. He won this championship last year. The oldest 
champion, major champion in the history of the PGA Tour at 50 years old, and he's not playing. Jay, is this a continuation on our speculation that he's kind of has a behind-the-scenes imposed vacation that he needs to take for a while because of some of his antics where do you how do you read what what's going on here relative to him playing or not playing that's the interesting part pearl because this as you know the majors are not pga tours co-sponsored they fall under a different set of rules so to speak and i'm not talking about the rules of the game but they are run by this tournament is run by the pga of america phil was suspended by our commissioner, Jay Monahan, and told to, you know, stand down, it would not cover the PGA Championship. It wouldn't cover the U.S. Open. It wouldn't cover the Open Championship, and it wouldn't cover the Masters. But don't, what, don't you think these other entities that you just mentioned would be looking to take a similar tact as the PGA Tour because of his antics? I don't know. Now, now that's a lot to ask for a bunch of people to get together and then it, it not leak out, too. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's silliness. But man, how do you not defend at that at that age and that stage and everything else going on? Something's something's what's that saying? Something's uh, wacky in in Wackyville. That's Nobody says that. Nobody <laughs> says that. That's the dumbest. Uh, something's rotten in Denmark. Is that what you're trying to say? That's what I meant to oh say. Oh my, like that. John. I, I think I think you make an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting conversation or at least discussion. But Fred Ridley, who's the, the chairman of the Masters and Augusta National Golf Club came out the week of the championship and said Phil Mickelson was not asked to not play by the tournament committee. He called and refrained personally. Phil was still talking about playing. I personally thought he was going to play. Well, I was just wondering, you know, one thing that's going to happen, you know, there's going to be a handful of fans that are going to heckle him a little bit. And I think, to correct me if I'm wrong, and I clearly could be and often am, he doesn't get heckled much out there, Phil. Isn't Phil kind of everybody's favorite and stuff? Or does he, he certainly doesn't get the Colin Montgomery uh, treatment or the Sergio Garcia treatment, but does he get heckled? Or do you think he wanted to just avoid, he loves the press, but do you think he wanted to, wanted to avoid this type of press? Oh man, I, I, there's no question about it, John. What he wants to avoid is this book. Someone talks about Phil wanting to be the smartest guy in the room and wanting everybody to know he's the smartest guy in the room, where he'll just completely take over a conversation. John, I don't know if you saw last year when Phil came up into the broadcast booth with Jim Nance and Nick Faldo. Did you happen to be seeing that? I think it was at the uh, the uh, Los Angeles Open. You know, actually, I do remember bits and pieces of it, yeah. John, Phil completely overwhelmed the entire booth. Made Nick Faldo look like fodder. Faldo was basically left speechless. And Jim Nance, who is the master of all masters, and guy just kind of stood back and let Phil, Phil go. But, Jay, you've heard that when coming out of, and again, he's been a positive influence, but you've, in, in, the, in, the, in the different Ryder Cup, President's Cup teams, but you've heard guys come out and you through the years talking about how Phil thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. I'll tell you something relative to the business, and I know you've seen this in the business world. The smartest guy in the room, the guy that comes tries to come across that way is what I should say, not the guy that actually is, but the guy that tries to come across as the smartest guy in the room often isn't, like all the time isn't, and it, it's it's never a secret to anybody else that's in the room, and it's it's pretty off-putting. So that that's just another whole piece and dynamic of this of this thing, but that doesn't bode well. Uh, wow. The other thing you've heard is 
that nobody likes Phil Mickelson's jokes as well as Phil Mickelson. One of the things that came out in the book was what happened with Tom Watson when he was the Ryder Cup captain. I think it was in 2014. Some entity that's bigger than the game decided who the captain was and who was going to be captain. And you're one of the players. And, you know, there's a there's an amount of respect that you need to have for the process and for the game and for these entities and the history of it where you kind of fall in line. And if there's a problem, you know, most of the time, John, our sport has handled things behind the scenes. Yeah. Not in the media. Not Phil. He came right out, threw Tom under the bus. In the book, it's dissected down. And Phil says, it's the only way I could create enough change in the system of the Ryder Cup and how players are chosen to turn this thing around for the U.S. and start beating Great Britain and Ireland. And what he did is now in effect where they've got past uh, presidents uh, and captains of the PGA of America and the Ryder Cup, and they're all getting together and they changed how many captains picks there are and things like that. But John, you don't have to go up and start clubbing people in the head. Oh, absolutely. And I remember the whole Watson, uh, Mickelson kerfuffle. And, you know, again, the golf sport, our sport is different. You know, that's not the way to do it. And and I appreciate that he's got a different way. Again, Phil's kind of known that, you know, he's got the best way, according to him, all the way. But I think that there's other ways to approach things. You know, did this pan out? Well, I guess maybe in hindsight, uh, was it done the right way? From my my point of view, not at all. And when you're burning those kind of bridges and kind of setting that tone, I think it's the wrong thing to do. And I think there's plenty of other ways to do it. Uh, he'll see if he ever gets that position to, to be the, uh, the 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 captain, the leader of that of that squad. We'll see from there. There's a, there's a lot of dynamics that come into play in that darn event. That's why it's so much fun because it's really remarkably unpredictable. Bro, we are going to do the tip of the cap. The tip of the cap is brought to you by my friends at the Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood and Colin Byrne, 314-966-0303. If you want to reach out to me, jay at jdelsingolf.com, why don't you do so? I'll personally connect you with Colin, get you a new vehicle. Pearlie's got a, a beautiful Toyota truck. I'm driving an SUV that Colin hooked me up with. Anything you need car-wise, Colin can help you with. And we're tipping our cap today to the moms, the dads, the grandmas, the grandpas, the sisters, the brothers, anyone who is dragging people to the golf course, driving people, shuttling them, taxi servicing them, anything that's helping our youth get to the golf course, play the game, grow the game, because that is our future. That's the next generation. And we appreciate you folks. The weather, the sun is shining. The heat is up. The golf courses are going to start really getting in great shape. So everybody enjoy the game. That's our tip of the cap. Colin at D-Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood. Thank you so much. Guys, call Colin for any car opportunity you need. 314-966-0303. John, that's going to wrap up the on segment. Folks, don't go anywhere. We got the front nine and Alan Shipton. This is Golf with Jay Delson. On the Range with Jay Delsing is brought to you by TaylorMade. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. The front nine is coming up. Shondalyn Hutchison was admitted to the emergency department at SSM Health St. Louis University Hospital for unusual swelling, cramping, and tremendous pain in her legs. Life-threatening blood clots were discovered. Immediately, Dr. Keith Piera, a vascular interventional radiologist specializing in minimally evasive procedures to treat blocked arteries, was brought in to see Ms. Hutchison. 
He then discovered that Chandelin suffered uterine fibroids as well, often so debilitating that it would keep her from working. Dr. Piera quickly treated Chandelin in both areas. It was amazing and immediate recovery occurred. Chandelin is now fully recovered and working and thriving. Thank you, Dr. Piera and SSM Health St. Louis University Hospital. SSM Health has been helping the greater St. Louis area for over 150 years. Please sign up to play in their SSM Health Foundation Open at Norwood Hills on June 13th. Folks, do you need a new car, truck, or SUV? Then the Dean Team of Kirkwood is the place for you to go. 314 966-0303 and go see Colin Byrne. He just got me into a new SUV and I love it. Boy, did they make the experience painless and super, super easy. Most dealers don't have any cars in their lots, but at Dean Team of Kirkwood, Colin has an entire parking lot full of new and used cars. You don't want a VW? That's no problem. They have Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, anything you want. Colin and the Dean team of Kirkwood will go get it if they don't have it. Call them at 314-966-0303 or go to deanteamvwkirkwood.com. The Dean team for all your car buying needs. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. For golf tips, news on the latest equipment, and everything golf. Log on to golfwithjdelsing.com. The front nine is coming up. I want to tell you about my friends and longtime supporters of this show, Marcone. Yes, they are incredible community stewards. Yes, they are the largest distributors of GE appliance parts in North America. What you don't know, they are spearheading, led by owner and St. Louis and Jim Sowers, a new service dog program with and in conjunction with David Faraday and the 24-7 Battle Buddy program. Jim and Mar- Marcone are ensuring that a minimum of two service dogs a year will get partnered with a veteran hero in need. These dogs are expertly trained, connected with their veteran master, and then magic starts to happen. These dogs are retrained to meet the specific needs of their warrior and to help them successfully navigate everyday life. You can learn more on Facebook at Troops First 24-7 Battle Buddies or reach out to me at j at jdelsinggolf.com and I will fill you in on more of this program. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. The Front Nine is presented by the Ascension Charity Classic, September 5th through the 11th at Norwood Hills Country Club. For tickets, ascensioncharityclassic.com. Hey, welcome back. Golf with Jay Delsing here. Got Pearly with me. We're headed to the Front Nine. It's brought to you by the Ascension Charity Classic. September 5th through 11th, guys, 2022. Norwood Hills, don't forget about the Advocate PGA Tour event at Glen Echo that same week. A lot of great golf going on in North County. Folks, I'm going right now to the author of eight books, Alan Shipnick. I hope you enjoy the first part of this interview. Alan, good morning. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. I'm so interested in talking about this book, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about your career. Talk about starting in 1994, Sports Illustrated, some of the things that you, and, and how you began your career. I was really more of a general sports fan than a golf fan but i knew from an early age that i wanted to be a writer i was the editor of the junior high newspaper and 
the high school yearbook and I wrote for when I was starting a junior in high school, I wrote for this little paper called the Salinas Californian, little town in Northern California, home of John Steinbeck. Um, and that's about all we have to, to brag about. And, um, but, uh, you know, golf was, was something I did with my buddies, but I wasn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a deep reservoir of, of uh, beyond that, you know, it was just, it was just a fun thing to do. But I, my, I started working as a, as a cart boy at Pebble Beach to put myself through college. And that first summer, which would have been 1991, I met the magic editor of Sports Illustrated. And we had a two-year correspondence. During, you know, I matriculated down to a little college called UCLA. I think you know something about. <laughs> I know where that is. And ultimately, you know, the, the Daily Bruin was this incredible training ground. I mean, this was pre-internet, so the paper was like 100 pages thick every day. And that, uh, we had this sort of unlimited travel budget. I mean, I was flying off to football, basketball, baseball games in a in Arizona and Oregon and Washington. And um, so I've always known that sports writing was where I was headed. And through this, through this correspondence with this, this, this guy at SI, I wound up getting an internship and I went, I went crazy. I wound up writing a cover story and I was still an intern and that kind of, um, you know, they were, they needed golf. This was, this was the mid nineties and the big birthdays had kind of revolutionized the golf equipment industry and money was flowing and, um, so I was golf was where the opportunity was. So I, I got into it. And then of course, Tiger Woods turned pro and things got really crazy. So, um, I'm, I'm still learning about the game. You know, it's, it's a never ending, it's a never ending quest and I'm still learning. You know, I'm always trying to get my handicap down. I'm, I'm, I'm always going back and reading Bernard Darwin and Herbert Warren wind, you know, there's a long history is, is something that, that, um, always attracted me to the sport and, and the great tradition of literary writing, whether it's, Dan Jenkins or um, any number of these 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 great old timers. So uh, it's kind of become a life's pursuit. And obviously, once you're on the beat and you start meeting people and and creating contacts and expertise, and I've never left. Even though I had a chance when I was at Sports Illustrated to become the NBA writer, and you know, basketball is my first love. And I still I coach high school basketball, and it was really tempting. But I just I love the golf beat, and I love the storytelling and the global aspect of the game and uh, everything about it. So I'm, I've become a lifer. So you've written eight books now. Tell us a little bit about the fire pit collectives that you uh, are collaborating on. So I had a great run at, at SIO you know, a quarter century and did a bunch of cover stories and kind of caught the tail end of the glory days of, of magazine journalism. And then, you know, the internet changed things and um, in some ways for the better, but um, you know, at, Ultimately, SI was struggling uh, financially because they were, as an institution, they were slow to adapt to the changing landscape. And uh, their parent company had, had, along the way, had bought Golf Magazine, Golf.com. So I was writing for all three platforms. And in 2018, the um, Time Inc., the, the overarching company, decided to sell Golf Magazine and Golf.com. And I had to decide really to stay at SI or to go to the golf properties. And it was a really tough choice, but it seemed like it was going to be a better situation from stability wise if I, if I went with golf magazine. So Michael Bamberger made the same choice. So we, we both went over to golf magazine, golf.com and uh, the editorial team there was fantastic ownership and management turned out to be problematic. And um, so within a couple of years, I, I was looking for other options and it's a tough time in, in, in sports media and golf media. Uh, you know, a lot of legacy titles are, are struggling. Like, you know, Golf Week is a lie. It's only published every month, and 
um, Golf World, which was a great weekly, that's gone. Um, GolfChannel.com, you know, they slashed all their staff for the most part. Like the whole industry is contracting. So ultimately, and I I talked to a, a lot of traditional places. I talked to folks at SI again. I thought about going home. Uh, the LA Times, uh, The Athletic, which is a really good publication, but just felt like, you know what, this I'd kind of reached this crossroads where it was time to do my own thing. And my great friend, Matt Jamella, who you know had a long run at, at Golf Channel, he was kind of in an analogous situation. And we'd spent 25 years over dinner complaining about our bosses and how <laughs> they didn't get it and all the ways they weren't, they weren't adapting to this changing media landscape and, and, all the inefficiencies and uh, it, it would drive us crazy. And so we finally put our money where our mouth is and we just founded our own media company. It's called the Fire Pit Collective. And um, it, was, it was actually, it's almost one year to the day because it was May 6th, 2021 that we got our first investment to really launch this whole thing. And it's been, it's been a rocket ship. I mean, we just, Bamberger just came aboard and joined us. I mean, he's the greatest golf writer alive, the Dean of the beat, like for him to, throw in with us is amazing we have ryan french who's known as monday q info you know he's he's become one of the most popular follows on twitter and he has just a great great nose for um very good story and we've got a really talented group of uh, you know cinematographers and podcast te- technicians and you know, jeff ogilvy u.s open champion became an investor and now we're doing you know we're trying to get more content out of jeff because he's such a great voice and uh we're just we're kind of we saw it's from sports illustrated to, to golf digest to golf channel where, where matt worked like if we just knew there's a better way to do it so we're trying to apply all those lessons and and we're just trying to put out really interesting content for golf fans it's um you know not the hey look at me i'm playing golf with my buddies stuff that is proliferated under the new media and um really bring a, a strong sense of journalism independence um, you know, we're all, we're all trained, you know, coming up through Sports Illustrated and, and other pipelines. And so um, it's just, it's been a joy to build it and to do our own thing. And the, we run the whole show and, you know, we're only a year into this, but we're, we're really proud of everything that we're, we're putting out into the world. And we've already started to build a really strong, dedicated audience. So I think, you know, it's an open question. Can, can a, an upstart media company succeed in 2022? it's a tough environment and we're giving it all we have and we've got a lot of people supporting us and we've got a lot of talent and, and we'll see what happens. If we, if we can't make this work, I just don't think it's possible, but I, I think we're going to make it work. Like we're, a lot of great stuff is, is in, is in the pipeline from us and that people are going to love and we're generating a lot of, you know, corporate interests and distribution partners and it's just happening. So it's, it's a really exciting time. So Alan, we got to talk about the book, Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. I was playing while, while a lot of this stuff was going on, and Phil was kind of a, a larger-than-life guy to me, almost like a court jester and at one time, at one on one hand, and then also kind of like a would-be commissioner on the other hand. And Alan... I have to say this, and my hat's off to you, because this book is written not in, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to go ahead and poke the bear as much as I can. It's so written more like a documentary to me, my opinion. I felt like you just reported what you found out. And one of the things that really impressed me was how much research you did for this book. 
Well, I appreciate all that, Jay, because that that was always my intention. And, you know, obviously a couple excerpts have dropped ahead of publication and, and they were pretty, they were pretty juicy. And I think some gave some people the impression that, you know, this was like an expose and I was out to bring down Phil Mickelson in some way, but that was, that was never my case. I just wanted to write a very fair and balanced look at a very complicated person who's had a really big, messy life. And, um, you know, Phil's done a lot of great things and, you know, they're all in the pages of the book, you know, all his large scale philanthropy and all his random acts of kindness to the fans and, you know, his mentorship of young players and all that stuff. I was, I was happy to celebrate Phil's virtues because he's put a, done a lot of, put a lot of goodwill into the golf world. Um, but there has been a lot of controversy and he has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth and he loves to stir the pot and, and there's a little bit of rascal in there and he, he enjoys that stuff. So that's all in the book too. And I wasn't, my goal is never to tell anyone who reads it that feels good or bad, or, or this is what you should think about it. Like I'm just presenting him for who he is and, and all his contradictions and complexities. And it's up to the reader to kind of take from it what they will. And I have been, you know, now the book's out in the wild and people really have a chance to read it. I've been gratified that a lot of feedback I'm getting is, I was kind of like, I didn't know how to feel about him at the end. You know, like some parts make me love him. Some parts infuriate me. Uh, some parts make me roll my eyes. Like, I, 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 I think I, I'm rooting for more, for Phil more than I was, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sense of not really knowing, I, I like. I, I think it means that I might have done my job where, um, because he is a very contradictory and a very, very complex person. Alan, tell me for guys like me that don't get this stuff, how does a quote or how did part of this stuff leak out? And is that how important is the timing of that? Who does that sort of stuff? Generally, two or three weeks ahead of the publication date, which was, you know, Tuesday of May 17th, um, you'll have an excerpt drop. You know, you want to get people interested in the book. Like that's, you know, there's art and there's commerce. I can only control the art, like where I just write the book. And the commerce part is really the, the purview of the publisher. You know, they're, they're trying to sell the book. And that's, and of course, you have a role in that. But, um, and so, you know, I, I finished the book and it was heading off to the printers, you know, and say uh, mid, mid-February. But there was, there was all, you know, there was all this Saudi stuff had been percolating for a really long time. And Phil was in the middle of all of it. And he'd actually called me in late November and we'd had this very, you know, fraught phone call in which he told me everything and as as the saudis were on the verge of announcing and the, the potentially reshaping the entire world order of professional golf like one of the biggest questions in the game was what does phil mickelson want and nobody really knew that except for me and so it was all in the book which again wasn't going to come out till mid-may and i just felt like I had a, it would have been journalistic malpractice just to, to leave it buried in the book because, and, and plenty of authors do that, you know, from Bob Woodward on down, you know, they, they want all the impact around publication date so you can get, you can sell the book and promote the book. And I understand that, but I just felt like this was a, a huge moment for the sport. And I had a lot of really important background and context for golf fans and other stakeholders in the game to really assess what was happening and what was Phil's role in all of this. And what does it all mean? Because it was all this stuff with the Saudis was conducted in the shadows. It was all secret and nobody really knew exactly what their intentions were or Phil's or what, how was it all going to look and play out. And I had the missing piece of the puzzle and it just didn't feel right to leave it buried in the book for three more months. So 
you know, we talked it over myself and the publisher and we decided, okay, it's just, it's, it's time to put all the cards on the table for everyone involved. So I, uh, so we dropped an excerpt that where, you know, Phil really revealed his true feelings and he admitted to his, you know, sneaky dealings with Saudis and what his motivations were and his battles with the tour. And so that, that, that came out in mid February and obviously touched off a whole series of events that I never anticipated. And I, you know, a half dozen of the smartest people in the game read this manuscript to give me feedback, writers and other people. And they didn't see this coming either. Like I knew what Phil had said was going to be controversial and there would, there would, there would be a, a reaction and there'd be some headlines, but Phil has talked his way out of so many controversies in the past and he's skated on so many things. Like, I felt like it was going to be a one day story. He would, he would, you know, hold, jump in the next press conference, explain his way out of it. And it would, you know, we would all move on. I, so I'm just like Phil underestimated the, the impact of his words, you know, I did as well. And, um, you know, obviously it turned into this, this global story. I mean, I got interviewed by BBC and Al Jazeera on down. <laughs> oh, um, man. It was crazy, you know, because Saudi, I think one of Phil's miscalculations all this is that Saudi Arabia is a very emotional issue for people like, and especially Americans. I mean, Saudi Arabia is the birthplace of 15 of the 9-11 hijackers. And they did assassinate a Washington Post reporter who's a resident of the United States. And um, they are bad actors on the world stage. And for Phil to acknowledge all of that and then so callously just dismiss it, there was a, a shock value in that. And then, and then it was the sneakiness that, you know, that he was actually actively colluding with the Saudis to help them launch this tour not as like a passive participant, okay, I'll take your money, but no, like, here, let us let me help you set this up, which could really subvert the, the business of the PGA Tour. Um, it was it was the double whammy of his words and his actions, and all of a sudden, he, he was in exile, and he, he remains in exile, and it's, it's a really stunning turn of events, and, you know, as a reporter, you never want to be in the middle of a story. Like, my job is to tell stories, not, not to become one, and it's definitely been an uncomfortable you know, three months in the aftermath of that. And, um, but I don't have any regrets. I mean, I, I just felt like what, what Phil had told me needed to be in the public domain more or less as soon as possible. And that's just how it played out. Well, Alan, you don't hang out with a guy like Greg Norman, who's wanted to be larger than the game at every single turn, you know, that he made. And you don't hang around with people that have this much money that are trying to do what they're trying to do to have this thing just kind of go quietly into the good night. There's just too many things that are too volatile and too explosive here. Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the whole Phil and Greg thing is interesting because they've never really been friends, but they are kindred spirits. You know, they, they, they see the world the same way and they, they would like to think of themselves as these big strategic thinkers and they're 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 not just golfers they're businessmen and um even the way they played the game is so similar you know like aggressive to the point of recklessness and that's kind of how they, how they live their lives and so uh there it maybe was inevitable they'd somehow come together on this and um but yeah i mean greg's made some outrageous comments about the saudis recently and phil's probably happy that, that greg has taken the heat because uh, it's taken a little bit of the spotlight off him. But he also has to be wondering, like, man, is this the guy I'm going to potentially hitch my whole professional life to? Because he's, he's a little unsteady. A little... Oh, my so... gosh. 
I can promise yeah, you the Saudis are thinking the same thing. Is this who we want the face of our tour? I mean, there's ways to do things, and there's other ways to do things. And Greg Norman, in my opinion, is not going to be long for that leadership role. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of a lot of those a lot of whispers about that too. I mean, it's it's just a wild. This whole thing has become such. It's the biggest question in the game, you know. Like the whole world order, professional golf is at stake here, and potentially huge ramifications for the sport. And you've got, you've got Greg in the middle of it, you've got Phil. It's just these these really flighty personalities. So it's 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 a chaotic moment for the sport. All right, that's gonna wrap up the front nine. Don't go anywhere. We'll have the back nine and the conclusion of the interview with Alan Shipman. This is Golf with Jay Delson. I want to tell you about a family-owned and operated golf business that's been right here in St. Louis for over 40 years. I'm talking about Pro-Am Golf Center. That's right, Pro-Am Golf Center. I know you know the name, but I'm not sure you know what they really have to offer. They have everything a seasoned golfer like myself could need, all the way down to what a beginner would want. Pro-Am Golf Center has the lowest price in the area for custom club fitting. I just went and visited CJ. He is terrific. If you call them now, mention my name, Jay Delson, you will receive a discount on that already low club fitting price. Their number is 314-647-8054. Ask for CJ, or you can visit them at ProAmGolfUSA.com. That's ProAmGolfUSA.com. Hey, St. Louis, the Ascension Charity Classic, presented by Emerson, is back this September. Don't miss the excitement when the PGA Tour Champions Best compete again, all for charity, September 9th through the 11th at Norwood Hills Country Club. Pro-Am spots, hospitality packages, VIP tickets, and more. Available now at AscensionCharityClassic.com. Powers Insurance is a family-owned agency right here in St. Louis that specializes in providing personalized coverage for the client who has a lot going on. At Powers, they understand that you and your life do not fit in a simple box. So guess what? Neither should your insurance coverage. Go to powersinsurance.com or call 314-725-1414 and ask for Tim Davis. That's powersinsurance.com. How would you like access to 90 holes of golf? Well, that's what happens when you join at Whitmore Country Club. You get access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. And guess what? No cart fees included in that deal. There's no food and beverage minimums. There's no assessments. They have a 24-hour fitness center, two large pool complexes, three tennis courts. Year-round social calendar includes holiday parties, picnics, date nights, live music. They even have a kids club for your children and much, much more. There's junior golf, junior tennis, and swim teams available. This is a family-friendly atmosphere, and they have a wonderful staff. If you get out there, you got to poke your head in the golf shop and say hello to my friend Bummer. He is a terrific guy, and he will help you with your game and show you around. And don't forget, there are golf leagues, skins games, members tournaments, and couples events available all year round. Visit WhitmoreGolf.com. That's WhitmoreGolf.com. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. To learn more about the game of golf, latest equipment, and golfing tips, log on to jdelsinggolf.com. The Back Nine is presented by Pro-Am Golf. Hey, welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I've got Pearly May with me. We're headed to the Back Nine. The Back Nine is brought to you by our friends 
they need to be your friends at Pro-Am Golf. 314-647-8054 or visit them at ProAmGolfUSA.com and call CJ. Get fitted. Pearlie's going to get fitted. I already got fitted. I can't wait to get my new clubs. Call them. They're going to help your game so, so much. All right, we are jumping right in to the conclusion of the interview with Alan Shipnick. He wrote the book, the Phil Mickelson book. Alan, one of the things that comes out in the book glaringly to me is Phil thinking he's smarter than he is. So to me, it's a general lack of awareness in certain areas. He's an incredibly gifted man. Don't get me wrong. Not only in golf, but he's, he, no one can tell a story like Phil. But when you do what you do, on the 13th green at Shinnecock at the U.S. Open and pick up your ball and then say you're using the rules of golf. You know, for most of us, we know that was a big load of crap. I mean, if Phil was really smart, you know, he could have replaced his ball and considered the ball after it rolled off the green unplayable and replayed his stroke. You're always allowed to do that. But he didn't think that. And there are so many times where Phil kind of upends himself. He's talking and I think it's finally kind of all piled up on him, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's a great example. And there's also, you know, the Tom Watson Ryder Cup stuff, and there's there's the insider trading, and there's this mob bookie in Detroit that he got mixed up with, and that story came out last, last summer right after the PGA. And, you know, Phil, there's always this low roar that follows him. There's always this energy. And uh, he's been he's been involved in a lot of controversy, but – like you said, he's, he's felt like he can, he can kind of wiggle out of it and he can talk his way out of it. But it's almost like the bill finally came due with the Saudi stuff. And it was finally something bigger. He just couldn't finesse by manipulating the media and, and using his charm. And um, So, yes, it was, there's a whole pattern of behavior here. I lay it all out in the book where, you know, none of all these seem like isolated events, but then you string them together and you see a real pattern. You see the way a person has lived their life and there's this whole – um, there's there's this whole way of being where he, he's always walking a knife's edge and uh, he, he's always trying to put out a brush fire and it's got to be exhausting, right? And when you can't call it an apology because he didn't really apologize and if anything, he made himself a martyr, but his public statement in February, you know, that, the most interesting part was, you know, the last paragraph of it was like really a word salad was when we talked about he needed to be a better man and he was um, taking time away to, cause he's let so many people down and that's a lot bigger than the Saudis. You know, I think that's Phil acknowledging like, yeah, I've been, I've been playing fast and loose for a long time here and um, it's finally caught up with me. So uh, where he goes from here is going to be fascinating, but I, I think it's this, this period of reflection he's on is the first time maybe ever he's really taking stock and thinking about, how he's lived his life and maybe there's there's a, a better way forward well the gambling aspect makes you wonder how could you possibly be in financial difficulties which i've heard is the case i've also witnessed and watched closely alan and folks i'm visiting with alan shipnick he is the author of many books but you got to get out and purchase phil the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. This is a must-read. You'll read it in a day or so, just like I did. But you know what, Alan, what's interesting is that he's getting very little to no support from our constituents. And one of the things that people do not understand about the PGA Tour is we are a tight fraternity. Generally speaking, we handle our business 
behind the scenes, generally speaking. It's the the best two players in the last 20-something years have brought more drama and more crazy uh, press about our game than ever before, and it's a spiral. It's a, it's a, it's kind of new territory for all of us. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting way to frame it. I mean, it's true, like, Tiger and Phil, they've mirrored each other in so many ways, and and this little dance they've done, going back to junior golf in San Diego, this push and pull. The fact that so few players came to Phil's defense and all of this has been has been very telling, and the silence has has been quite loud. And part of it is economic. You know, Tiger, we can all agree, Tiger Woods has put the game and the fans and his family through a lot worse than Phil has at this current moment, you know, with Tiger scandals. But you never saw players criticize Tiger publicly, except for one old fuddy-duddy and Tom Watson. But otherwise, everyone bit their tongue. Why do they line up to criticize Phil in this moment? Um, part of it is because they've always known there's this big divide between the public and the private Phil, and they've rolled their eyes about it. And now the public was kind of getting a different glimpse of Phil, like, and in some ways, you know, this book will bridge the gap between the Phil's image and the reality. But um, it was also, you know, I was talking to one longtime tour veteran who I know you know, but I won't use their name because we were just kind of, we were texting casually. And, and I, I made that point. I said, why, why is everyone ripping Phil when they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they've never said anything about Tiger? And he said, you know, Tiger Woods never made himself bigger than the tour. And he put money in our pocket. And Phil made himself bigger than the tour. And he was trying to take money out of our pocket. And that, that's why we're pissed off. And when you frame it like that, it makes perfect sense. Because you know, if the Saudi tour succeeds and it starts attracting a big TV contract and, and the support of Rolex and all these other multinational corporations, that's money that's going to get siphoned off from the PGA Tour. And while maybe a handful of top players would benefit because they could take the Saudi money, you know, the guys who were 50 to 200 on the money list, they're, they're not getting invited to play in Saudi Arabia. No way. So now the purses are shrinking on tour and um, and the tour is losing sponsors and they're losing TV deals. And, you know, that, that now Phil has hit them where they live. And so that was part of why it wasn't about the human rights violations in Saudi Arabia or the morality of taking their money. It was like Phil was messing with their livelihoods on some level. And that's why they were pissed off. There's a real struggle going on, in my opinion, with Phil and even Greg Norman between money, attention and relevance. The ego has run amok here. And these guys are just caught in this web and don't know what to do, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few things going on when it comes to the, the Saudis with Phil. Certainly, money's a factor. No one does anything with the Saudis except because of the money's so big. Like, we, we know that. That's obvious. But there is also, you know, he's a very strident, self-righteous personality. And he's always been frustrated that he, he never he didn't have a bigger voice in how the tour conducts his, his business. And Tim Fincher would kind of blow him off, and now Jay Monahan has done the same. And it, it really bothered Phil because he has been – one of the biggest stars in the game for three decades, but he's never had the kind of say that he wants in how the tour conducts its business. And he's had a lot of grievances and there's been a lot of battles behind the scenes and some spilled out in the public view. Um, like when Phil grips Fincham after, after winning the Deutsche Bank all those years ago, live on national TV and then boycotted the next FedEx cup tournament. <laughs> there yeah. were some really small time grievances and um, with, so the Saudis is, is a chance to reshape the whole sport in his image and to affect the change he's always won because they gave him leverage against the tour. 
and Phil loved that. He was actually getting things done by working both sides of the street. And he was really enjoying that feeling of, it's been said about Phil many times before, like he wants to be the smartest guy in the room. And suddenly he was, he had the juice to, to, you know, have to make some policy changes essentially. Um, so he was loving that. And so it wasn't just about the money. There's also a sense of control of ownership of, of righteousness. And that's part of the complicating factor as he, as he goes forward. Like we're a very forgiving nation as Jack Nicholas just recently said, fans are willing to forgive and forget and they love a comeback story and redemption story. And just look at Tiger. He's never been more beloved despite everything. And so there's certainly a way back for Phil Mickelson, but if he goes all in with the Saudis and after we know how he feels about them and you know, that really makes him look like a mercenary and it's going to be much harder to cheer for him for a lot of people. If, but if, if he renounces the Saudis and comes back to the tour and pledges his allegiance to the tour, then that's like a political defeat for Phil. Right. And on some level, he's going to have to admit that he overplayed his hand and he's really loath to do that. Like he wants to be right. He wants to prevail in this battle with the tour. And so, I mean, this is one of the complicating factors for Phil as he tries to plot his return to public life is, is, is he ready to admit like, okay, I kind of screwed up and I took it a little too far. I don't know. That's just never been his personality. I mean, he's a double down personality on the golf course in Vegas and, and everything else he does. So there's a side to this where he's probably letting some of this build up work in his behalf. But I got to end this interview with a question that I've always wanted to ask you. Can you please tell us the Butler cabin interview incident? Can you tell us what happened? And, and it, it's, it's really a great story. <laughs> with me and Bubba Watson. Yes. Um, my value to golf fans is to tell them things they don't know. Like everybody watches on TV and everybody's on Twitter and gets the instant reaction, but I need to, I need to go deeper. I need to take people behind closed doors and I needed to bring them the real truth when they're only getting bits and pieces of it. So, you know, at the masters when, when Bubba won for the first time in 2012, I think he was in 14th place going into the final round, maybe five back. You know, he really, he was, he had never won a big tournament. I just hadn't spent any time in Bubba's orbit. And all of a sudden I get a call from editors. Yeah, we're going to put Bubba on the cover. You know, we need 3000 words by 7am tomorrow. And I just didn't have any material really. But um, earlier that year in Maui, I, I wound up having drinks with, with Bubba's trainer. And so I ran out and I found him on the 18th hole. And actually Bubba's approach shot on 18 was the first shot I saw him hit on Master Sunday. Because like, <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't until the very end that it looked like he was going to win, and I was chasing other people around. And so I was a little desperate. So I, I, I told this, this guy, nickname was Fish, I said, listen, I, I know the drill. I've been to many masters. Like, they're going to take Bubba's family and friends into Butler Cabin. You guys get to have, while Bubba's doing his, his interview, you get to hang out, and then they'll bring him to you. You get 15 or 20 minutes to celebrate, and then, then you'll go to the, the dinner with the Augusta members. And so... Um, I'm just going to come into Butler Cabin with you so I can I can kind of <laughs> pick up on the vibe. Fish was like, yeah, sure, man, cool. Like, he, he doesn't know. But it's a gray area because there's no sign on the door of Butler Cabin says, you know, no media. Obviously, I know I probably shouldn't be in there, but I took my badge off. And the guys around Augusta, they don't know Bubba's people. Like, you know, he's come out of nowhere for them, too. So I just kind of walk in, and it's a great scene. There's, there's a bunch of, you know, Ricky Fowler's in there, and I think Aaron Baddeley, and uh, all above his family and friends. And so 
you know, I've, take, I've taken my credential off. I've put my notebook in my pocket. I'm just hanging out, but I'm picking up on the, um, I'm talking to people and I'm getting anecdotes and it's a great scene, but to really bring it all together, I, I need Bubba in Butler Cabin. And so this whole time he's been doing his press conference, he's on this like, you know, whatever the TV's on and we can see him. All of a sudden the chair's empty. He's like, I know that Bubba is on his way to Butler Cabin. We'll be there in a few minutes. But unfortunately, a club official recognized me. This guy named Buzzy Johnson, <laughs> not to be confused with Hootie Johnson. And Buzzy comes up to me. He's like, hey, Alan, you know, this is a private party. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I was invited by Bubba's best friend, and they wanted me to be here to kind of see all this. And he's like, oh, okay. And he walks over to Bubba's agent, and I can see them talking. And I had never actually met Bubba's agent <laughs> to this point. Because, again, Bubba had to come out of nowhere. And so... And I, I'm sure he's saying, do you know that guy? And he's just like, not really. And like, so Buzzy comes over and he's like, yeah, you got to go. I said, okay, <laughs> sure. I totally understand. But now I know Bubba is like literal seconds from, from getting to Butler Cabin. So, which by the way, Butler Cabin's huge. It's like four bedrooms and the living room's gigantic. And when you're on the inside, it, it looks, it's it's a lot of space and there's a lot of people. So I, I'd say to this Buzzy, I'm like, I'll just, I'm going to give my drink back to the bartender and I'll, I'll just walk out the back door. And so I do that, but... I give the drink to the bartender, but then I duck into one of the bedrooms. It has like four bedrooms. And I go to the bathroom, I close the door, and I'm like, okay, I know when Bubba walks in, there's going to be a huge roar. I'll just walk out. I'll just kind of get a glimpse of it, and then and then that's all I need. I've got but I've got Bubba in the cabin to bring this whole anecdote home. And sure, so sure enough, I'm, I'm in there. I hear the roar. I do like a fake flush on the toilet, and I open the door, and standing in, in the door frame with his arms crossed looking really pissed off is a guy named Jim Armstrong who was the, uh, the he was the general manager of the club he's like you're out of here <laughs> I did, I do so I just had to just had a tinkle before I left he's like he's like we're gonna have security escort you off the grounds I said wow that doesn't seem necessary Jim you know I just had to go to the bathroom but um and so but at that moment Bubba walks into the bedroom where we're talking and there's a guy carrying like four or five different green jackets because he wanted to try out some different fits. You know, they just yep. they come off the green and they ask you, he's like, I'm a 42 long, but you know, he wanted something that fit a little better. So I'm like, Hey Bubba, congrats. He's like, thanks man. This is crazy. Look at all these jackets. So we have this little <laughs> moment and um, it's like all I need. And so, you know, I go back, I write my story. It's on the cover and the last like three or four paragraphs is everything in the cabinet really made the whole story come alive. And, it, it gave me that that access, that, that, that something different that nobody else had, which is really important in this job. And uh, unfortunately, a few months later, the hammer dropped, and uh, my editor gets a, a letter from Augusta National saying that I'd committed a procedural violation by by entering uh, Butler Cabin. So they they put me on ice for a year. They didn't credential me um, in 2013 as my as my punishment. Which I always contend like all I was doing was my job, and I was trying to serve the readers and. Uh, but they didn't really. The appeal process with Augusta National, let's say, is somewhat lacking. <laughs> yeah. so, um, it's well, non-existent, I, 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 I think. Yeah, it's non-existent. It's like you know, trying. It's probably similar to the court system in North Korea. Like you just, you're they're the judge, the jury, and so uh, anyway, it was. You know, I've tried to behave ever since then, and um, for the most part. But yeah, that that's kind of that's the famous public cabin story. I love it, Alan. This is Al, then Alan Chibnick. Thank you so much for joining me, and Alan, thanks so much, buddy. All right, thanks for having me, Jay. This was fun. Okay, that's gonna wrap up the Alan Chibnick interview, Pearl. We're gonna hold off any comments about more of the book. We're gonna catch that on the Michelobaltra 19th hole when we come right back. This is Golf with Jay Delson. 
Hey, this is Jay Delsing for SSM Health Physical Therapy. Our golf program has the same screening techniques and technology as the pros on the PGA Tour use. SSM Health Physical Therapy has the Titleist Performance Institute trained physical therapists that can perform the TPI screening on you as well as use the KVEST 3D motion capture system. Proper posture, alignment, etc., can help you keep your game right down the middle. We have 80 locations in the St. Louis area. Call 800-518-1626 or visit them on the web at ssmphysicaltherapy.com. Your therapy, our passion. Boy, is this housing market tight right now. Are you tired of having the second best bid on your dream home? Call my friend Joe Schieser at 314-628-2015. Joe's been helping my family and I for over 30 years. He closes millions of dollars of business every year, and he will help you understand the importance of a pre-approval letter, inspections, and pricing your home or your offer just right. If you need to buy or sell your home, Joe is your guy. 314 314- 628-2015. That's 314-628-2015. Hey, St. Louis, the Ascension Charity Classic, presented by Emerson, is back this September. Don't miss the excitement when the PGA Tour Champions Best compete again, all for charity, September 9th through the 11th at Norwood Hills Country Club. Pro-Am spots, hospitality packages, VIP tickets, and more. Available now at ascensioncharityclassic.com. Folks, are you in the market for some additional protection for your ride? You need to call my friends at Vehicle Assurance. Their number is 866-341-9255. Sherry Fain is the owner and president, and she and her team are committed to helping you with your unexpected auto repair bills. They are committed to finding the right protection for you, your budget, and your family. They only work with the top vehicle service providers in the country. Get the protection and the peace of mind you deserve. That's Vehicle Assurance, 866-341-9255 for a free quote. 866-341-9255. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. To learn more about the game of golf, see the latest equipment, get golfing tips from a PGA pro, log on to jdelsinggolf.com. The 19th hole is presented by Michelob Ultra. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Pearlie's with me. I'm Jay. We're headed to the 19th hole, which is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. All right, John. I don't know if Phil's ever had more attention on him in his career than he does right now. I know you say that. Off the air, you and I were talking, kind of prepping for the show. But is it to his advantage the way he's handling this? That he's just kind of disappeared? Granted, there's there's news about it. Again, I think it's the wrong kind of news for the for this for, for this sport. And I don't know, we have to finish the topic on that, but I want to go back a little bit at some of the antics and cool and fun and interesting things that Phil's done through his career. He's always been a character. What is the advantage or disadvantage then of having this much attention? John, my guess is he's back home repairing things with Amy and his immediate family, his three kids. That's my guess. And what I think we're going to see, we're going to see is some sort of family sort of 
re-entry back into everybody's consciousness, so to speak, and talk a little bit about, hey, this is my, these are my guys here, and Amy's my best friend, and, you know, we're, we've worked through some of these things, and, and she's really helped me try to become a better human, and et cetera, et cetera, and then go from there. That's what I have a feeling is going to happen, but that is sheer conjecture. I mean, it could go a lot of different ways. The, the life that you guys lead on tour, it's not totally unique. I mean, I could liken it in many ways to a traveling sales guy, a guy that's on the road 30, 40 plus weeks of the year. That, that, that's a toll on relationships, on family, on, on uh, routine, on consistency, uh, et cetera. That, it, it takes a massive toll. So it's not a surprise. Now, granted, we've all heard the Tiger Woods stuff. You know, we're seeing other people out there, great players. There's reasons these great players fall fall to the wayside. When's the last time anybody heard of Ricky Fowler? I don't even hardly see any commercials with him as much as any, anymore. He's kind of fallen off the map. I mean, life life gets in the way, or maybe it's the tour gets in the way of life, and then there's a then there's a, a bill to, that comes due when some of that other stuff isn't taken care of for no not no fault of anybody's. But I think it could become a surprise because it's a, it could be a whirlwind out there. Next thing you know, you've been on the road for eight years and go, oh, wait a second. There's some things I haven't been really taking care of. I haven't been maintaining. That's what I'm seeing this at. And so certain guys are going to get more attention. But I think there's plenty of guys that have to, to, to do resets that, you know, for the most part, we're never going to hear about. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. I mean, I, I mean, John, one of the things that I think is obvious, at least to me, is that this is a struggle for relevance. This is a wow. struggle for relevance. I mean, why, well, well, John, why wouldn't Phil go out on the Champions Tour, dominate the hell out of that tour, just like it did the PGA Tour uh, uh, when he was a kid, and, you know, win 10 events out there? Let me ask you a question. I'll tell you, can I answer that question, though? Why yeah, he won't do that? I, answer, I think I know what the answer yep. is going to be, but go ahead. Yeah, because it's not the show. It's not the show. No right. one grows up and says, man, I hope I can play on the Champions Tour. We love the Champions Tour. Don't get me wrong. But it's not what you dream of. The dream was never to be a great – my dream even was never to be a great Champions Tour player. My dream was to be the best golfer in the world. You know, that's that hard part, Jay, with any athletes. You and I talk about this. You know, they, they, there's the saying, athletes die twice. Once you've been in the show and all the accolades, the money, the attention, et cetera, and, and then you're still a relatively young man, <laughs> man, life can, life with the wrong perspective, actually there's an incredible amount of great life left, but, but with the wrong perspective, it can seem hollow. It can seem less. And until you kind of learn some things, grow up a little bit, get some more awareness, that's the way it is for a while. And, and I think that's what, that's what a lot of guys go through. Yeah, there's no question. There's no question. It's, it's, um, I mean, I, I, I can tell you some of the athletes and not only in the golfers, they'd rather die the second death first and not go yeah. through, not go through it. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, because John, so for so long, you have put in, put your self-worth and who you are as a human. And it's only about golf. And that is, that is, that's a tough a uh, basket to throw all your eggs into, man. That is, there. there's not necessarily happily ever after in that thing. Pearl, this is going to wrap up another show. Man, we could easily talk more Phil Mickelson and the uh, book. The book, guys, go out and get this book by Alan Shipnick. It's called Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. I enjoyed it. 
I think you will too. Pearl, thanks for being with me. And next week, we're going to have Nick Ragone from Ascension and the Ascension Charity Classic as our guest on the Golf with Jay Delsing show. Have a great week, St. Louis, and hit them straight, St. Louis. This has been Golf with Jay Delsing. To learn more about Jay and the services he can provide any golfer, visit jdelsinggolf.com. That's jdelsinggolf.com. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.